Well, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but a few days ago, while you were spending the Clavenless weekend hunkered in your underground bunkers, wondering if in the aftermath you'd be able to trade gold bars and water bottles for the last extant DVD of Southside with you, it turns out we missed Women's Equality Day. I know, right? Very, very sad. If we had been together for Women's Equality Day, we could have begun to set aside the gender differences imposed on us by society during the Great Society Gender Difference Imposing Conspiracy, and we could have begun to treat one another as absolute equals. If you're a woman, for instance, you could have stopped regarding me as if I were a, quote, man, unquote, and begun to treat me just as you would treat a, quote, woman, unquote, if you were a, quote, man, unquote. For instance, as I walked by in the hall, you could have said something like, Good morning, Glory, what's your story? And then given me a light slap on the backside. And instead of reacting to you as if you were somehow a, quote, woman, unquote, I could have reacted just as I would have reacted if a man had done that by punching you so hard in the face that your ears flew off the sides of your head and embedded themselves in opposite walls of the room. <laughs> Uh, all right, sorry about that, but unfortunately, we missed Women's Equality Day, so all we can do is address one another politely as we pass, like gendered ships in the night, heading for a life imprisoned within the sexual identities society imposed on us right after two or three million years of human evolution created them. But if only every day were Women's Equality Day, then every woman would know that instead of getting married and coming under the sway of some man who loved her, instead of raising a bunch of children who would keep annoying her by rising up and calling her blessed all the time because she was the one person in all the world who knew what they were really like and loved them anyway, she could go to work at a business that manufactured gizmos or even widgets and come under the sway of a man who didn't give a damn about her, or even a woman who didn't give a damn about her, but was happy to use her as a gear in a great machine, turning out ultimately useless stuff that would not rise up and call her blessed because it was already obsolete and had to be thrown away to make room for more useless stuff. But alas, Women's Equality Day is over. And so instead, we have to get used to the fact that the gender differences society imposed on us after God created them are one of the chief sources of joy and consolation for just about everyone on earth but a small number of crabbed, dissatisfied, neurotic, feminist harridans to whom we at The Andrew Clavin Show would just like to say, Happy Women's Equality Day. Now it's over. Get me a beer. Trigger warning. I'm Andrew Clavin, and this is The Andrew Clavin Show. <laughs> <laughs> I knew I wasn't going to get through that, but I, I tried. <laughs> I did try. Uh, I just have to rehearse these like 150 times before I come. All right, we're going to be talking about sex all day. And that, this is going to be very suspenseful. This is going to be a very sp suspenseful show because we're going to see if I can get through the entire Anthony Weiner story without a single double entendre about Anthony Weiner's dingus. It's going to be, it's going to be very suspicious. You're going to be on the edge of your seat waiting to see if I can get through this without making one lousy joke about Weiner's joystick. All right, but in order to see that, in order to get to the end and find out whether it's going to work or not, you have to stay with us after you lose the Facebook feed. You only get 15 minutes on Facebook or YouTube. Then you got to come to the Daily Wire or you can download us on iTunes or SoundCloud. 
and also subscribe. Tomorrow is Mailbag Day. Hey, you know, while you're, if, please send in uh, uh, questions for the mailbag tomorrow if you are a subscriber. And if you get a chance, if you have an extra minute, uh, put in some stuff that you like. You know, I'm always talking about stuff I like. I'd like to hear more about stuff you like. Uh, you can just mention it with the question or just send in a statement about it. I'd be really interested to know what pop culture or non-pop culture or serious piece of culture uh, has really affected you. I would really like to see that. So throw that in there. If you subscribe, it's free for 30 days, and then you only have to part with a lousy eight bucks, and your conscience is clear. And that's, that's important. All right, so this is it. You know, Anthony Weiner is out sexting again, and now he's out. He's out of the marriage because Huma Abedin has had it with him. Now, you know, why a Jewish guy married to a radical Muslim lesbian would have a problem, <laughs> some sexual problem, I don't know. You know, maybe at night she tries to take his side of the bed away from him. I, I, who knows what it is. But Huma, finally, this is the third time this has become a scandal, and this time was this time was really even worse. He was sexting with somebody, and he loves to sex pictures of himself in a state of arousal. Mr. Weiner likes to sex, you know, send pictures of himself when he gets uh, excited, and he did it while his son, his four or five year old son, had crawled up on the bed next to him. So the picture that he sends is of him, his shorts, basically with this little kid lying next to him. So Huma finally said, she put out a statement saying, after long and painful consideration and work on my marriage, I have made the decision to separate from my husband. Anthony and I remain devoted to doing what is best for our son, who is the light of our life. During this difficult time, I ask for respect for our privacy. Sources said Abedin was furious and sickened by the picture of Wiener and their son. According to two people close to the family, the sources said she did not know about it or details of the latest sexing, sexting exchange until this weekend. It was in the, the New York Post. And there's some talk that Child Protective Services is going to get involved in this. I would think so. I mean, if you or I did something like this, that you know, CPS would definitely get a call. So Trump reacted to this in an interesting way. He said, Trump, Trump has never liked Anthony Weiner. He has, like, hammered Weiner, and he just thinks, and we'll get back to that in a minute. But he put out a statement saying, Huma is making a very wise decision. I know Anthony Weiner well, and she will be far better off without him. But, he went on, I only worry for the country in that Hillary Clinton was careless and negligent in allowing Weiner to have such close proximity to highly classified information. Who knows what he learned? And who he told, it's just another example of Hillary Clinton's bad judgment. It is possible that our country and its security have been greatly compromised by this. <clears throat> so he went political on it. And, well, let's first look at the reaction. We have Clinton's spokeswoman, Andrea Mitchell of CNN, interviewing Clinton's spokeswoman, Jennifer Granholm. You know, that's how it works on the left. You know, we, we've been make, we sit around, we make fun of Trump interviewing uh, Trump, of uh, Hannity interviewing Trump all the time, which has become a bit absurd. It's Hannity putting words in Trump's mouth, Hannity just celebrating Trump. There's nothing journalistic about it. It's just an arm of his campaign. <clears throat> but that's the entire mainstream media. That is what the mainstream media does all day long. So here is Clinton's Andrea Mitchell interviewing Clinton's Jennifer Granholm. Donald Trump uh, telling the New York Times now that this is uh, probably, you know, a good thing, the separation, but then suggesting that Anthony Weiner may have had access to classified information through his wife. That is ridiculous. That is ridiculous. I mean, I think that Donald Trump and everyone else should respect the privacy of Huma Abedin, who is, as you know, an utterly graceful, 
wonderful human being who's going through a terrible situation and who's tried to keep our marriage together. So I say, let us respect their privacy. That is nonsense about classified information. Okay, wait. So just so I'm sure, this is the Huma Abedin who helped set up meetings with anybody who had given money to the Clinton Foundation and used to edit a radical Islamic anti-female magazine with her mom and who has been through this now three times. We have to respect her privacy? Eh, I'm not seeing that at all. I'm sorry. And why is it, you know, I I have to say, you know, Trump is, is going political and that's part of his job at this moment, but I don't see why it's nonsense at all. I, you know, at what point, at what point was Hillary Clinton's confidential information, our confidential information that she was sending out on her private server, at what point was it so secure that it's nonsense that this woman, that her top aide's husband, who is clearly a lunatic, <laughs> could have seen it? I don't think it's nonsense at all. So let's, I just want to go back a little bit. Just, just so we understand how this is going to play out, take a look. Let's take a walk down Wiener memory lane, okay? We're going to Wiener memory lane. Starts out, I think it's 2011, and our friend Andrew Breitbart is sitting around obsessively going through his Twitter feed, which is what Andrew used to do, and he sees this tweet, obscene tweet coming out from Wiener's uh, Twitter feed, and it's instantly uh, erased, and he goes out and he sends it to the press. And who do they attack? They attack Andrew Breitbart, okay? And, I mean, they piled on it. So here's Wiener. And watch the, watch this video. This is Wiener's first excuse. Look at this guy and listen to his voice. Listen to the absolute conviction with which he lies and the absolute uh, abandon with which he, he lies about the whole thing. Well, let's keep in, in mind what happened here. I was pranked. I was hacked. I was punked, whatever it is. Someone sent out a picture. Uh, I'm an easy name to make fun of, and I think that that's what happened again. I, it's a terrible thing that this poor woman got dragged into it. She says she knows nothing about it, and I obviously don't know anything about it. I didn't send that picture out. But that's not a picture of you? You know, I can't say with certitude. My system was hacked. Pictures can be manipulated. Pictures can be dropped in and inserted. One of the reasons that I've asked a firm that includes an internet security arm is to take a look at what the heck happened here, was to make sure it doesn't happen again. But let's kind of keep in mind why this is so silly. You know, someone committed a prank on me, somehow got access to my Twitter account, and by the way, at, you know, put up a picture that made fun of the <coughs> name Wiener, and that's what happened. Yeah. That's what happened. And that's a, you know, that's a well thought out lie, by the way, because he doesn't deny that it's his body, which could probably be checked. And somebody might say, no, I, I know that guy from by his pants, you know, and like he can, you know, they, that could be checked. But it's a pretty well thought out lie. So <clears throat> the press almost universally reacted by saying, well, it's Andrew Breitbart and Andrew Breitbart lies. And they did. Everybody did it. So here's here's just the one that I found easily. It's uh, Senk. How do you say pronounce his last name? Un- Ungur, he's the young Turk who has now kind of risen in the ranks so that he gets quoted as if he were a reliable source. Here he is reacting to the opening of the scandal after Wiener makes his excuse. To me, it's exceedingly clear. He didn't send a picture. He doesn't know who the girl is. She doesn't know who he is in person. She knows him as a congressman, but she's never met him. So all this is nonsense. But yesterday, Andrew Breitbart, who, of course, is a notorious liar and who's been the main guy pushing this story, complained that the mainstream media aren't covering the story enough. Quote, 
If this were a Republican, it becomes the single most important story in the history of media for three weeks, four weeks. Now, come on, are you claiming that Democratic sex scandals aren't covered enough in this country? Have you ever heard of a guy called Bill Clinton? Yeah, Bill Clinton, they buried that story until Drudge broke it. They, you know, Drudge forced that story down the mainstream media's throat. They had it, they were gonna print it, they spiked it, and Drudge broke it, okay? And every other scandal works the same way they get whitewashed. I mean, it's not that they don't cover the scandals if they have to, but Elliot Spitzer, right? Governor of New York, really hard-driving prosecutor against businesses, he gets caught going to prostitutes. He had to resign as governor, but then wanted to reconstitute his career, they made a movie, a documentary, Client 9, because that's what the prostitutes called them, Client 9. I watched this documentary from beginning to end. It's a whitewash. It starts out, you know, with kind of telling the truth, but very, very slowly starts to pin everything on evil Republicans. It's the New York Times playbook, you know, with the New York Times, whenever there's a, a Democrat scandal, the headline is Republicans try to take hold of, of Democrat scandal. And that's what they did with Elliot Spitzer. They tried to do it with Wiener. They made a documentary about Wiener because he was running for mayor and they were going to reconstitute him and, and uh, you know, save him from himself. But he did it again. He did it again. OK, so and, and after this happened, after the first time, the New York Times, a former newspaper, ran this huge story about what a wonderful guy. It was very sympathetic. And Jonathan Van Meter wrote it. And he wrote that he, listening to his excuse, now this is after the excuse has all been exposed, listening to the excuse, he says, it was not entirely, it was, n it was the not, it, was, it wasn't such an implausible theory, after all, his excuse, because it was the not entirely reputable right-wing blogger Andrew Breitbart who broke the story. So Breitbart was a liar. Okay, and then, of course, Wiener confesses. At the outset, I'd like to make it clear that I have made terrible mistakes that have hurt the people I care about the most, and I am deeply sorry. I have not been honest with myself, my family, my constituents, my friends, and supporters, and the media. Last Friday night, I tweeted a photograph of myself that I intended to send as a direct message as part of a joke to a woman in Seattle. Once I realized I had posted it to Twitter, I panicked. I took it down and said that I had been hacked. I then continued with that story to stick to that story, which was a hugely regrettable mistake. This woman was unwittingly dragged into this and bears absolutely no responsibility. I am so sorry to have disrupted her life in this way. To be clear, the picture was of me, and I sent it. I am deeply sorry for the pain this has caused my wife, Huma, and our family, and my constituents, my friends, supporters, and staff. Just to point out, he's still lying. He's still lying. It was a joke. It was all, you know, it was like, you know, he's still, he's, he's all teared up, but it's still baloney. It's still baloney. Now stick with me. I'm, I'm doing this for a reason. I know I'm going back in time, but there, there is a reason for this. After this, of course, came that wonderful moment. This was probably the pinnacle of Breitbart's life. Breitbart called me about five minutes after this happened because this, these kinds of things happened. It re there really was an angel watching over Andrew. I mean, I think they knew he only had a little bit of time and they were going to give him some good stuff before he left us. Breitbart was going to his hotel after this, after this confession happens. He's going to his hotel, and he looks in, and there's a press conference going on. And he says, what's this? And they said, the press is waiting for, for Anthony Weiner. 
And Breitbart says, oh, well, I'll go talk to him. <laughs> he steps up. Oh, no, I, that's not even what happened. They called on him. They, they demanded that he come in. He wandered in. And they said, oh, there's Andrew Breitbart. Get on stage. Get on stage. So Breitbart got on stage, and he explained this to people who had been calling him a liar for the last, like, two weeks. He explained 72 hours, I guess it was. They were calling him a liar, liar, liar. And he explained what happened, and then he had this wonderful redeeming moment. Everything that I've said so far has come to be true. I'd like to hear one the media says Breitbart lies, Breitbart lies, Breitbart lies, Breitbart lies. Give me one example of a provable lie. One. One. Journalists, one. Put your reputation on the line here. One provable lie. All right, we're going to get a great moment. We're going to get to the point of this in a minute. But if you're at on Facebook or YouTube, you got to come over to the Daily Wire and hear the rest. <clears throat> Huzzah. Okay. <laughs> um, so, so Breitbart turned out to be right in every particular, as he was in virtually every story he ever did. I mean, he never, the one thing he never did was lie. I mean, it just was the, the one thing he never did. He made mistakes like every journalist, but he, he was never like selling a bill of goods, which the left is always doing. So just remember, just remember who was right. There was somebody else who was right back then, by the way, just to point it out, in 2011, that first scandal, somebody else was right. Play the Trump cut. The fact is, I know him very well. He'd call me all the time looking for campaign contributions. It would never stop. He'd give me all sorts of phone numbers. Fortunately, I don't think I ever called him. The fact is, Anthony Weiner is a bad guy. He's a psycho. And when this came out, I was not surprised at all. I'd watch him in interviews. I'd watch him on television. I'd hear what he had to say. And you could see he was like a boiler ready to explode. Little did anybody realize, especially me, that he'd get in this kind of trouble. I thought that his career was so important to him. The fact is, what he was doing was more important, or probably he just had a death wish. When you watch the interviews he did over the past week, it was incredible how much he was lying. You could see it when they asked, is that your picture? and he didn't want to really give an answer. The fact is, he lied, he cheated, he was as bad as I've ever seen. I don't know what this guy was thinking to do all of those interviews and now having to recant. So, so one news outlet, I think it was Yahoo News, put this out saying, oh, Trump has it in for him. Trump has always had, but he was just telling the simple truth. And I mean, I think it's just good to remember. It's good to go back because this stuff goes down the memory hole and it's still happening. Remember a couple of, it was August 23rd. So that's a week ago. That's exactly a week ago. Associated Press broke the big story that half of the people outside of the government that Hillary Clinton saw while she was Secretary of State were donors to the Clinton Foundation. Big story, because remember, it took him years, years to get that, those documents. And the Clinton people's defense was, well, they only covered a certain period of time because they wouldn't give them those documents. The AP was suing. They was filing FOIA things. You know, so they, they hide the evidence, typical Clinton playbook, and then they say, oh, it's old news. It's not the full story because they didn't give you the full story. All right. The AP report came out. When, this is from Observer.com. When searches related to the story were entered, entered into the Google web browser last week, and the head of Google is a big Clinton supporter, results for Clinton AP story were limited to stories from left-wing publications discrediting the story. 
including this report from Vox, a very left-wing site, the AP's big expose on Hillary meeting with Clinton Foundation donors is a mess. Nothing messy about it, just a very, very direct uh, and very damning report. The New York Times has taken its censorship a step further. The day after the AP story broke, there was no mention of it in their entire paper, and this has remained the case until a week later, when Maggie Haberman finally mentioned that, quote, Clinton and her campaign have denounced an Associated Press report, period. Okay, that's the way it was covered in the New York Times. And by the way, this Google thing happens you know, I hate to say this because Google is a very useful search engine and it's the one virtually everybody uses. When you put in Clinton's health, too, this happens. When you put in Clinton's health and you know how it finishes what you're looking for, it'll say Clinton's health plan, Clinton's health, you know, uh, ideas, something like that. You go into Yahoo, which I've now made my homepage because Google does this all the time, and you put in Clinton Health, it says Clinton Health's problems. Nobody's Googling Clinton's health plan. I mean, come on. You know? I mean, that's not what people are Googling. They're Googling a problem. It's trending on Twitter, you know? So they are covering this up. And all I'm trying to say is that it's all like this. You know, I had lunch yesterday with two liberal friends. Really nice people, really lovely people. But the one thing that really occurred to me as this went on is they don't know that they are floating in a bath of their own opinions. They do not know that they are surrounded by their own opinions. They look at the New York Times, and then they look at Sean Hannity, and they say, well, Sean Hannity is biased, but the New York Times is direct. But Sean Hannity is a commentator. He is what he is. The New York Times is supposed to be reporting the news, and they're not, and they don't know. I mean, this is really true. You know, it's all silence on the left. It's all about, you know, yesterday, John Kerry, who you may remember is now the Secretary of State, he came out and made this comment about terrorism. He said, no country is immune from terrorism. It's easy to terrorize. Government and law enforcement have to be correct 24 hours a day. But if you decide one day you're going to be a terrorist and you're willing to kill yourself, you can go out and kill some people. You can make some noise. Then he said, perhaps the media would do us all a service if they didn't cover it quite so much, then people wouldn't know what's going on. I mean, this is the left. It is if you, what you don't know gives them power. And the left, people on the left do not know that they are floating in this bath of misinformation. They don't know because lots of people on the left are decent people. They would listen to a debate. They can't get it. They can't get Heather McDonald's opinions on their, their station. They can only get Black Lives Matter. That, it doesn't come over their machines, you know, and they don't know that that's what's happening. They don't know that they are awash in this. All right, we move into our cultural section of the program with, uh, first of all, I have to uh, relate some sad news. I mean, you probably didn't know him, but my pal uh, Joe Hicks died. Uh, I believe it was yesterday. He had an operation. There were complications on it. You know, he started out as a black radical. I think he was even a black panther at one point uh, and then became a black conservative. And one of the things, and I worked with him at PJTV, one of the things, you know, people are always talking on the left. They're always talking about the courage. Oh, the courage. An athlete came out as gay, you know. The president calls him and congratulates him. He gets on the cover of Sports Illustrated. What courage? You know, what courage? Zero courage. That's how much courage. There is no courage in doing what the entire media world, the entire, that bath that I'm talking about congratulates you in doing. No courage. You risk nothing. You only get rewards. A black guy who comes out as a conservative, especially if he was once on the left, is truly intellectually courageous because, you know, if you happen to be Clarence Thomas and you're elevated to the Supreme Court, great. They'll only tear you limb from limb. They'll only lynch you on television for two weeks, you know, before they allow you to climb to that height. But if you're just a journalist like Joe was, 
they'll ignore you. You know, you won't get any on any shows. You won't get your opinion won't be respected. But Joe was just a tough. First of all, he was a great guy. He was a really nice person, terrific to talk to. But also, he would just say the thing that had to be said with absolute panache and without worrying about it at all. He had a show, it was called The Hicks File on PJTV while I was there. And here's just a, a clip of him after, remember, Henry Gates got arrested and Obama condemned the cops. And Joe immediately spotted what was going to come, the whole Black Lives Matter thing that Obama has been stoking. Uh, from, from then on, he saw it, and here was part of his reaction. It is critical to remember that Obama was assessed as the most liberal politician on the floor of the Senate in 2007. His political worldview is rooted in the left activism of his community organizer days in Chicago. Coming as he does from this left activism, Obama has never rejected the activist view, which causes him to see cops as an impressive force in minority communities. This disregards the often frantic effort that's been put into diversifying and changing the behavior of major city police forces all the way from Baltimore to Berkeley over the last two generations. But as one of my good friends Larry Elder often says, facts to a liberal is like kryptonite to Superman. <laughs> so that was Joe Hicks. Uh, he died, I, I believe it was yesterday, after complications of a simple operation. It was just one of those crumb. You know, there are days when I feel about dying the way Noel Coward felt about travel, that the wrong people do it, you know, and uh, this, is, this is one of those days. Really sorry to see him go. All right. In my book, that my memoir that is about to come out, The Great Good Thing, A Secular Jew Comes to Faith in Christ, I talk about a moment, uh, and I hope you will pre-order that, and if you can send it into aclavin at dailywire.com, I'll send you a signed sticker you can put in the book. The Great Good Thing, A Secular Jew Comes to Faith in Christ, it's available for pre-order now. Uh, but in there, I talk about the way that the left started moving into the universities very early when I was when I was in school, how it was just starting. And it kind of reminded me of that panning shot at the end of the movie Cabaret, where they pan around the cabaret, and as they go, there are more and more Nazis in the shot, and you just see this gathering storm happening. That very beginning was happening when I was a kid, when I was in school. And I remember sitting in a class, and I tell this story in the book at length, and I'll only tell it briefly here, but I remember sitting in a class when a teacher was teaching Alfred Lord Tennyson's fa most famous poem, The Charge of the Light Brigade. Now, I'm going to read a little portion of this poem, and you'll hear how many famous lines are in this poem. It's just like every line is like a famous line, provided the, the uh, title of a book or just a, a saying or whatever. And I remember this a uh, squirrely little girl in the front row stood up and said, why do we even have to learn this poem? It's all about glorifying war. And I expected the teacher to turn around and just slam her, but instead the teacher was cowed. And the teacher said, you know, I, I know what you mean, I hear what you're saying, and all this stuff. And I was so enraged, and remember, I was a liberal then, okay? I was so enraged that I stood up, but I was so angry that I couldn't speak clearly, and I just started babbling for two minutes, and then utterly humiliated, sat down. I was just so angry. I was slapping, I was slapping the book, going, listen to this, listen, 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 this is so great, this is so great. Well, if I, if I could go back into that moment, what I would say is, here's a poem that tells about a, an absolute disaster. This was something that happened at the Battle of Balaclava during the Crimean War when they sent this light cavalry brigade into the Russian guns, straight into the Russian guns. And it was just a, uh, it was just a foul up. The orders got confused. They didn't send up the backup, the heavy brigade in back of them. It was just, and they were just obliterated. And as they were obliterated, as they marched on their horses into these cannons, right into the mouths of these cannons, 
If you were standing up on a hill, you could see them reforming their ranks to take the places of the people who died with such tremendous discipline and courage that they actually broke through the cannon line for a minute and, and then came, had to come back and were, again, obliterated. So many of them died. A complete blunder, yet at the same time, a blunder that revealed the incredible courage and discipline of this light brigade. And about 10 minutes after this news story reached England, it reached London, uh, Alfred Lord Tennyson, who was then the Poet Laureate, wrote this brilliant and deathless poem about it. And what is so brilliant and so deathless is you can hear it happening. Just the tone, the, the rhythm of the words gives you those horses' hooves as they charge into these guns. And you will recognize, I'm sure, even now, uh, in, these, in these illiterate days, I think you'll recognize some of these famous lines. Half a league, half a league, half a league onward, all in the valley of death rode the 600. Forward the light brigade, charge for the guns, he said, into the valley of death rode the 600. Forward the light brigade, was there a man dismayed? Not though the soldier knew someone had blundered. Theirs not to make reply, theirs not to reason why, theirs but to do and die. Into the valley of death rode the 600. Cannon to the right of them, cannon to left of them, cannon in front of them, volleyed and thundered, stormed at with shot and shell, boldly they rode and well, into the jaws of death, into the mouth of hell, rode the 600. An absolutely stunning depiction of, and it goes on from there, a stunning depiction of a completely calamitous and idiotic cavalry charge in which in which Tennyson caught both the stupidity of the blunder and the immense courage of the individual cavalrymen who charged into it. A brilliant poem. You should read the whole thing uh, by Alfred Lord Tennyson. All right, finally, we have to end uh, again on another sad note that uh, Gene Wilder died, very talented guy. Uh, was, he was an older guy. He had uh, Alzheimer's. He was 83, I think. <clears throat> if you've never seen The Producers, the original movie of The Producers with Wilder and Zero Mostel, I believe it is... Uh, Mel Brooks' masterpiece. I don't think everybody thinks it's Blazing Saddles. I think this is a far, far, far better picture, a, an absolute work of genius, and mostly, not well, not mostly, partly because of the script and the comedy, but also because of Wilder and Mustel. They are so hilarious in it. But of course, the role that he is most uh, remembered for is Willy Wonka in Charlie and the Ch Chocolate Factory. And recently, you know, Johnny Depp did a, a Willy Wonka, and everybody said, oh, it's so weird. It's so weird. But to me, it was just mannered and silly. You know, it was outlandish, Johnny Depp's performance. If you want to see a weird, threatening, interesting, kind of dangerous performance, watch Gene Wilder, because it's it's got it's got weird sexual angles to it. It's got a kind of sadism to it, and yet it's also got this benevolence, and he captures the character from the Roald Dahl story so perfectly. Anyway, that's uh, goodbye to Gene Wilder. Here he is singing the great, great song uh, by Leslie Brickos and Anthony Newley, Pure Imagination, from uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. I'm Andrew Claven. This is The Andrew Claven Show. We'll see you tomorrow. With a spin traveling in the world of my creation, what we'll see will defy explanation. want to view paradise simply look around and view it anything you want to do it want to change the world
There's nothing to it. Thank you.